Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farrand, owner of the company Horns of Odin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Hello, everybody. This time, we are doing a Q&A where we might go down a rabbit hole um, based on one particular question. Um, but before we go to the rabbit hole, we will uh, take some shorter ones. So uh, fire it away. <laughs> 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 I mean, that was quick. I mean, ooh, ooh, a little bit of, bit of foreplay first. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, you need dive, me to dive. warm you up here? <laughs> yeah, warm me up. Take me to dinner, you know. Okay, a okay. Something. <laughs> no, so we're going we're gonna to try out doing some Q&As. I think we have uh, it's been requested. We've done it on Patreon for a while. So, yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun. So if you if you... Do enjoy this and you want to submit a question, you can do it through Patreon. Um, support us on Patreon. You're going to get a chance to submit a question. And then, Matthias, I mean, 99% of the questions are always for you. Occasionally, one's for me and I get super excited. <laughs> but usually, they are, they are for you, you know, answering people's burning desires about Nordic mythology and the Viking Age. So if you do want to put your question to Matthias, support us on Patreon. You can, when we do another episode like this, We'll put a post asking for questions and then submit it. And then we can, yeah, ask Mateus your your question. Yeah. yeah I think it there should be go. good fun. No, it yes. should be good fun. Because like, uh, I think I think it was Jonas that said a long time ago how at some point I'm going to get, not be like the, the, the original Viking bro I was when we started this. <laughs> like at some point I'm gonna we're gonna do this long enough where I'm gonna learn stuff, I guess. Eventually I'm gonna learn something. It might take <laughs> talking about it two, three, four times for it to sink in. But eventually I'm gonna kind of get to a level where I'm not as naive as maybe I once was. So I think it's good to to have this where other people can ask their questions that maybe I now miss or take for granted and just kind of overlook. Yeah. And also, I, 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 I don't uh, think that you've ever been particularly naive. You've been interested in learning. Um, I think there's a big difference uh, between those two things. And mm. you also seem to be picking up pretty quickly. So uh, <laughs> like <we're, I> mean, <laughs> don't, don't put you, yourself down too much, man. <laughs> now you're flirting. Now we're getting it going. Yeah, there we are. <laughs> He's getting warmed up. <laughs> I, I had, oh, I had a good teacher, Matthias, obviously. Aww. I mean, we, and we've had some incredible blush. <laughs> we've had some incredible guests on here. Should, should we just stop the podcast and do our own thing? <laughs> Should we just get a room? Yeah, let's just let's just scrub the podcast and we'll. Uh... <laughs> no, it's been you know it, it has been a lot of fun and I've learned a lot, but I think it's important that we check back in because again, I've said it a bunch of times in here. Every podcast is somebody's first episode. You know, every episode is someone's first episode, so everybody's on this different level of learning, and they might have a, a really kind of what's simple quote-unquote question that we either missed or maybe we've not answered it or maybe we didn't answer it enough or again people might not be able to find it you know we've got hundreds of hours of us two talking out there now so i think it would be um yeah good to to let people ask 
and let me mute this person who ah. didn't read my little note that said, please turn your <laughs> microphones and cameras off when you enter. But no worries. It's fine. I'm in a happy, I'm in a, I'm in a happy mood because now I have the power. I'm not, I'm not going to keep you out like I could do. <laughs> you sound like me when my students, they ask uh, the same question 17 times from the syllabus. Like, mm-hmm. you should have read the syllabus, young man, and that kind of stuff. Oh, I bet you're a nightmare sometimes. <laughs> I bet you are a nightmare. The other, just... the other day, I um, so one of my classes uh, has uh, midterms this week, and another one of my classes had uh, will be having midterms next week, and. A student from one of the classes that has a midterm next week sent me an email about, I'm trying to plan for my midterm next week, blah, blah, blah. And I'd gotten so many emails from the uh, students in the other class uh, mm-hmm. that I thought that it was a student from, from that class. And so I was, I was like, sent him this like dry response about the midterm is this week, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right after I sent it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got to see a little bit of teacher Mateus when we were at Midgas Block doing the ritual and everyone was quiet. And I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Alex from Fire of the Mountains, like started talking or made a comment or something. And then you just turned into teacher mode like that. And we're like, ooh, I'm like, have you got anything else to say? And I was like, ooh, Mateus, I'm scared now. <laughs> Pay attention to the blackboard, young man. That's it. Yeah, I was like, ooh. But I, you know, it was nice nice to see that side of you. Um, all right, let's jump into the, the first question. So it's from Caden Huber. And I know I seen you this earlier and you were like, I could talk about that for hours. So we're going to start with this one and see where we get. And then we'll get a few of the smaller ones in at the end, I think. And it's super interesting. Mm-hmm. So Kenny says, in the Northmen, they reference the fiery gates of hell. But in all my reading, I've un- only understood the old Nordic image of hell to be a cold place. Do we ever see the idea of a fiery hell incorporated into Nordic mythology? And if so, is it a result of Christian influence? So let's let's start with that. He's got a bonus question on the back of that, but let's let's start there. Because that's yeah, that, that's something interesting. Because I know that. <clears throat> Is it described as, hell is described as up and down, which I would assume is the north of Scandinavia and down underground, which you would assume is fucking cold. You get mm-hmm. up towards the Arctic Circle. Um, so, yeah, where does the the fiery thing come from? Yeah, so um, the... Uh, as you say, the, the the descriptions that we see in the mythology for, like, a location where, where, where the underworld is uh, are and northwards and down um and we ha- we have a couple of interesting so these stories they aren't mythological in that sense they're, they're cast as like you know in the real world like for instance we have uh uh saxo's story about uh Thorket, who uh who who journeys to some kind of underworld and he sails northwards mm-hmm. and then he goes beyond the stars and the moon and to somewhere that's like completely dark. And then he gets to a city that is described as, as sort of like a, a, um, a uh, well, everything is like full, full of like soot and mold and, and it's like 
unpleasant location. Um, Saxo has probably been thinking about uh, the kitchens of his time, um, which would be located in the cellar uh, in the um, in the castles uh, he would be residing in, or the monasteries he he would be in. So, uh, so it's, a, it's sort of like a dank, um, cold, moldy, dark place. That's that's all the descriptions that we see every time we see somebody trying to describe the underworld. That's what we get. So that um, that that quite cave-like, I guess. Yeah, essentially, like this feels like a cave. Yeah, um, so you're going you're going in, mm-hmm. in and down, and you know caves are always a little bit damp and. Mm-hmm. And there are like, you know, spiders and stuff in there. Um, sometimes a lot of snakes writhing in the uh, on the ground or in the ceilings or whatever. So, or if you've seen the descent, those creepy little zombie type creatures. Have you ever seen the descent? I have not. I need to see that. Like, that sounds movie. awesome. Yeah, it's a. I really, I really, it's a good horror film. They, they go. I think it's like. Is it potholing? Or oh, they go adventuring in a cliff, in like a cave, get lost, mm-hmm. zombie weird things come. It's good. It's a really good film. I, I enjoy it. I will have to check that out. Um, okay, so we also have words for the underworld. I and mean, the word hell um, is originally probably not applied to a goddess. Um the goddess who rules hell uh, might be a relatively late innovation in uh, in Nordic mythology. Might even be one that can be attached to uh, post-conversion situations. But there are some indications that 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 they did in the late Viking Age perceive uh, hell as as being ruled by a goddess, um, and that's also because in Nordic mythology and and going far back in time what we have is a tendency to perceive the the earth the land as female uh the goddess yoder is mm-hmm. uh, ru- rules over the land and that's a very common theme in in european mythologies in general and a lot of other mythologies for that matter um and so it makes sense that they would also perhaps perceive the 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 goddess of the underworld as a goddess and not a god or or, or whatever. Um, so, so how come it's because that's different to like Greek mythology, mm-hmm. where obviously it's it's male, it's Hades. Am I right? It's Hades, mm-hmm. right? Ooh, mm-hmm. I was scared to say that then. <laughs> I was thinking so hard. I'm like, I'm sure it's Hades. I'm sure it's Hades. But what if it's not Hades? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but what you find in the Mediterranean, uh, in Roman, Greek, um, and uh, uh, Mesopotamian mythologies uh, is actually sort of more uh, stories that indicate uh, both genders are present in, in, in the underworld. The, uh, uh, the story of how Hades kidnaps um, Persephone. Uh, mm-hmm. suggests for instance the presence of of, of a female um down there as well okay. um it also really depends on which author on this matter that you're reading and and also i i'm sure local traditions and um uh, uh, 
you know, inclinations, personal inclinations. Uh, a lot of things go into that because uh, we also have um, Orcus as sort of a, a, a punisher uh, in in the underworld in 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 Roman mythology. Um, so so there's a little bit of back and forth on 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 all of that. And uh, mm-hmm. what it really means, what it really expresses, so to speak, is uh, what kinds of concepts and ideas do we attach to the ground, right? And um, the the whole complex of the myth of Hades and Persephone and and Demeter is actually a story about fertility and the fertility of the fields and 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 all of that. If you read Ovid, um, his Metamorphosis, then then you get, definitely get that sense because he is is uh, is talking about a drought um, mm-hmm. on Sicily that that seems to have been the inspiration for his idea about the story. So so that's that's just one example of of how myths are used to make sense of our world, right? If we go to the Nordic stuff, then hell, um, what I was getting at is that the word itself just means covered. It means something that is beyond our sight. Uh, the word hell is uh, it comes from the same uh, root word as cellar. And um, it just, yeah, means something underground, something that is mm-hmm. covered. It just, just seem very cave-like then. That's, exactly. That's the, only, that's the only thing I can think of that would be a natural formation of the time that mm-hmm. but what, the- what we have in in western europe and in scandinavia is a tendency from the beginning of the stone age and onwards up until people become christian to build burial mounds and some of those burial mounds are communal burial mounds with openings that you go into and then you place your dead in there and mm-hmm. sometimes you go in and you hang out with the dead and you know, uh, you know, do do things, rituals, whatever you want to call it, in there. So, so there's also a long-standing tradition in Northwestern Europe uh, to to use uh, burial mounds as as like the main image of the underworld as well, mm-hmm. which explains why they're furnishing them in the Viking Age with all kinds of material. Right, when somebody gets buried in a burial mound. You know, sometimes there's a ship that goes with them. Sometimes they have horses, they have everyday items, they have weapons, they have uh, uh, hunting tools and, and all that So do you stuff think that's, that, that's a belief similar to the Egyptians in that you take those items with you? It's not just like a, a show of the wealth of the person in life. It's more like you need these things mm-hmm. over there. And what you actually find in a lot of the Viking Age graves in Scandinavia are means of transportation. So, you know, I mentioned ships, but also wagons. There are horses. There are sometimes ice skates and uh, shoes, an extra pair of shoes have been put down there. So that seems to indicate that they actually were thinking, well, the person will be leaving this location and go somewhere, um, Mm. probably northwards and then down to that uh, (laughs) location. Mm. Um, And also the burial mounds that we see in the uh, from the stone age and onwards um they might actually be in- inspired by the pyramid tradition in in uh, what is now egypt and uh sudan and uh, and and elsewhere along the nile um mm-hmm. sort of as a as a way of of creating monuments to the dead that that spreads from there and then it takes on its own 
local flavors depending on where it goes. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, these these uh, burial practices seem to be very closely linked. Um, okay. There's something more to say about words, right? Because we also have nippelhell and nippelheimer, right? So these uh, these two words, the nippelhell is older than nippelheimer um, in terms of like when it's being used. Nippelhell means um, the misty hell right so the misty covered world so that's sort of a a, a pleonasm we're doubling up on the fact that we really can't see what's going on there mm-hmm. and then you have nippelheimer mist world which shows up in snurris um uh, creation myth and and this is where it gets interesting right because um the idea of a fiery hell an underworld full of uh, sulfur pits and burning flames and all that stuff that comes from the Mediterranean and it moves into the North uh, with Christianity. This is a very distinct um, sort of Roman Christian idea of the underworld. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that also means that it's not a distinctly original Christian idea of the underworld. It's something that happens when Christianity meets Rome, right? Okay. Because the idea of a fiery underworld uh, in 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 Italy actually um, exists before uh, Christianity. Um, so, so I, say, what, when I used to when I used to watch the Hercules cartoon when I was a kid. Hades, Hades was always on fire. Yes, exactly. Some of, some of his hair fire. was on fire. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? There's a there's a very distinct reason for that, and that's the prevalence of volcanoes uh, on the uh, Italian peninsula. We, we, okay. we see a very very distinct tendency to relate uh, what happens in the underworld to that fire that comes out of Vesuvius and Stromboli and and so on. So so they 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 see that they make that connection, and boom, there you go. Now. In uh, in the north, we don't see Snurri doesn't try to create an underworld that is full of fire and 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 sulfur pits, uh, even though he lives in an environment that has even more volcanic activity than uh, than than the mm-hmm. Italian peninsula. What he does instead is that he takes uh, Plato's philosophy of elements and how they uh, the uh, the elements have have come together to create an inhabitable world and then he places nippelheimer as the cold world up north and muspelheimer another word that he invents seems like at least uh, uh in the south and and then he attaches biblical ideas to muspelheimer in particular he says that surter this fire giant uh, that Icenus would otherwise know from the underground, um, he sits at the end down there and guards uh, um, um, uh, the world with a flaming sword. And that is almost verbatim, um, the mm-hmm. sort of like from, from the Cherubim in, uh, in, in this story of Eden. So okay. um, when Christianity meets Old Norse mythology, we don't get a fiery hell pit either. What we get instead is is sort of like a like a theory of of creation that goes that, that circumvents God and and ascribes natural processes to it instead. Um, when we have then progressed 
historically into the late medieval period or high medieval period in the 13 and 1400s, that's when we see the fiery pits of hell showing up in Icelandic volcanoes. So, for instance, the, we, we start seeing this tendency to, um, actually, that's already in the 13th century. We, it, we see it in the, the King's Mirror as an example, Konungskuggsjau, um, this uh, book that basically tells you everything you need to know if you want to be a king. And you should know geography as, as an example of that, for instance. So, um, so some of the geography that is described in context of Iceland tells us that um, that there are fiery pits of hell. They they have sort of like their entrance over here in Hekla, um, in the volcanoes in Iceland. Uh, and, and then there's a reference to just like we see it in Italy, by the way. So, mm-hmm. so they're very much aware of that. So, so, so that's how that all comes down. So where do you think, is, is there like a source that you can think that stands out where the Northmen will have pull, pulled the fiery part from? Because it, whether you like the movie or not, they certainly seem to do a bunch of research and really kind of get into historical accuracy and, and kind of do their best whilst you know making an entertaining film. So where do you think, that feels like an easy thing to not slip up on. This, I think, is an uh, executive choice of uh, essentially ignoring the source material because it it is cooler to combine Vikings and volcanoes. Um, I get to have the the silly fight scene at the end. (laughs) Yes, they get to have the silly fight scene in the end. So, like, essentially, it's it's just to make it more uh, more fun to watch. Um, Mm. So, it's just artistic license, and I guess. Yes, because you know the uh, we we know what what people seem to have thought about volcanoes and the underground in Iceland prior to this introduction of the uh, the the um, the Roman Christian ideas of uh, of fiery pits of hell and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they they, uh, they they had a complex relationship to them, and the reason we know that is because I wrote a book about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> they had a very complex relationship to it, right? So so what happens is that we have a bunch of Vikings that come from a not so active underground in Scan- mainland Scandinavia, and then they realize, hey, wait a minute, there are volcanic eruptions here. They do all kinds of things. They mess around with uh, our our landscape in general. Sometimes they melt glaciers. Sometimes they make ice. Uh, ice burn um sometimes mm. they they completely make an, an area in, uninhabitable and so on and so forth and mm. what they seem to do is that they generate this idea that you have to have a good relationship with the land spirits that's why there are so mm. many references to land spirits and how you, when you take land in iceland you have to appease the land spirits by not uh, freaking them out by having your dragon heads on your uh, ship and you have to um, send high seat pillars to shore and that's where you get to take land. Then you have mm-hmm. to have an entire uh, ritual about taking land where you carry fire around, right? This idea of carrying fire around to land uh, is probably some kind of mimicking of the fire that we know is on the, in the underground. And mm-hmm. all of this is, of course, uh, post-rationalizations from the first settlers. The first settlers probably didn't do these uh, rituals at all. Um, but there, there is, there, there is an, 
a, a developing culture where people are essentially trying to mitigate um, volcanic eruptions through rituals. And we also see that in the volcanic caves called Surzhetler, Surz caves, right? And they were formed in the early period of, in, uh, of, of human habitation in Iceland. And there are these, you know, uh, tubes that are created as the crust of a lava flow. Uh, um, or the, the, the top of the lava flow becomes a crust and then it's still flowing underneath and that creates uh, mm-hmm. tube caves. And what, what do we have from the 950 to 70s, depending on how accurate the dating is? Well, we have actual sacrificial rituals that have taken place shortly after these these caves were formed we also have a an, an instance uh, uh mentioned in one text where somebody goes and composes poetry to the fire giant that lives in the cave mm-hmm. and then lo and behold we also have an actual poem about a fire giant that lives in the cave but it's not directly attached to that situation i so, mean it does make pure sense if, right? <laughs> if you strip, if you strip yourself of all kind of modern knowledge, which isn't too difficult for me to do, if you just kind of put yourself back there, and you know you didn't know everything you know now, and you have this thing, this mountain that mm-hmm. occasionally grumbles at you and spits steam out of it, and sometimes throws flaming lava or fire in the air, it, it's not hard to jump to the kind of thing of oh, well. That actually could be something living in there. It could mm-hmm. be a monster in there. And if you upset him, then he's going to fucking get you. Yeah. And you know what? When we go to other societies around the planet that, that have lived in the vicinity of volcanoes, um, what usually is the case is that there are at least stories that are basically like legends about a volcanic eruption at some point. But even more so also a tendency to actually organize society in relation to um, the risk of volcanic eruptions. And um, mm-hmm. that. Uh, expresses itself in different ways. So, for instance, in Aotearoa or New Zealand, uh, what we see is a, a number of Maori tribes who actually count their uh, ancestral origin from volcanoes. And that means that the volcano is a person, right? Mm-hmm. We, uh, we can go to Hawaii and you can see how a, a selection of kings and uh, ideas of heroism and so on are attached to volcanic eruptions too. Do we see? Hmm? Do we see? Um, this might be wi- this might be wildly racist of me, but I don't think it is. <laughs> don't, don't pull that face at me. No, I don't, I don't think it is. But certainly, in my mind, like human sacrifices into volcanoes seems to be like a a thing that I've only heard of like the Polynesian type area. So, that kind of, do 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 we get that in Iceland as well? Uh, do we see that in kind of like the so the idea of human sacrifices to volcanoes is sort of a popular myth that has come out of uh, overt English racism. Oh, <laughs> oh fuck. Fuck, I didn't know that. Oh, my heritage got me. 
I actually picked it from from Monkey Island, the game. So that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's the thing, right? You have you have these uh, uh, European explorers that come out to these uh, societies, and you know, uh, maybe historically you have uh, found some uh, instances of of human sacrifice in relation to volcanic rituals of some kind, but but then that becomes sort of like a trope in descriptions of tropical peoples right mm-hmm. it, and 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 then the snowball rolls from there um so i, I was gonna say I've, i've seen on a bunch of films as well yeah exactly didn't they do um, madagascar as well the lima king wasn't he trying to throw something in the <laughs> as well? so there there have obviously of, of course occurred human sacrifices to appease all kinds of gods and spirits around us in different ways. We don't have any uh, specific evidence in Iceland of human sacrifices attached to volcanoes. But what we do have is a, um, is, is essentially a very aggressive social structure uh, that has been formed Um, through the attempt to mitigate the disaster of volcanoes. So essentially what happens is that you have these um, Vikings that show up in Iceland. They realize, hey, wait a minute, this is an extremely cold environment. And also sometimes it, it blows up in our faces. So what do we do? Well, we have to make sure to monopolize resources as best as possible. And that that creates a very, very aggressive masculine culture in in um viking age iceland that persists into the medieval period until the norwegian king takes over and then they don't get to do that any longer imagine the irony behind iceland being so fucking cold and you freezing for for years months struggling to survive And then you get fucking burnt to death by a volcano. <laughs> irony yeah, that must that suck. Must fucking be like what? Like how? And just also how annoying must it be? Like it's so cold, and then you're just like up there. There's this really fucking hot thing, and like we can't really use it, and it's so annoying because it's like it's there, but we're still gonna die if we touch it. Um, yeah. Okay, but their descendants made it work, right? They they yeah. have thermal uh, uh, energy nowadays. So oh yeah, oh it's, it's lovely now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so to summarize, I think that it's the the fiery part came with Christianity, but it's not inherently Christian. It predates the yeah. kind of like Roman heathenism. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Okay, so the second part is um Caden says I also understand hell to be just sorry just to be the general afterlife not necessarily a place of torment for misdeeds is this because uh, is this also an idea uh brackets we believe only became incorporated through Christian influence or do we have evidence to believe that hell was viewed by and um, was viewed by any old Nordic peoples in the way in this way before So yes, my awful so. reading because I can't speak to the so to summarize, <laughs> basically I think he's asking if hell is you know the the fire brimstone evil part of mm-hmm. hell does that come from the Christian so, past only as well or is it involved? Yeah, in so the so the situation is that the idea of an afterlife that punishes you. Yeah. 
um, again predates Christianity in the Mediterranean um, in Greek and Roman cultures. Uh, the the idea that you you can end up um, in, in in a better off or worse off uh, situation uh, based off of the type of life that you've lived um, definitely uh, exists before Christianity shows up. But then what you see with the uh, uh, you know Mediterranean Christianity is that, that that idea is fused with then well then you have to live a pious life uh, in accordance with. Uh, with with what with God's law and all of that stuff, right? And mm-hmm. um, that's not something we can assume that the early uh, congregation around Jesus they wouldn't have believed in 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 those ideas, that, uh, or at least we, we we can't assume that they would have, because um, if you look at uh, ideas of the afterlife in in Jewish mythology or uh, other surrounding mythologies, then the, the afterlife actually just mirrors the life that you've lived in, um, in the sense that it's similar. Like, so, so you would have a house and, and, and I guess in mo- modern context, a car and, and a nice little mm-hmm. yard and a doggy or something like that. If that's what you had when you I mean, it's existed the, it, it's on, the, in our world. It's the perfect step to take. If you're going to exploit, the idea of this this place is better than here, and mm-hmm. then if someone comes along that wants to exploit it, it's, it's the perfect way to do it. Is that okay? Well, you now you only get there if you follow this little set of yes. rules that we've got over here, and then you can get there. Whereas before, everybody could get there. Yeah. So you know, uh, uh, what 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 seems to have been sort of like the quote unquote original idea about the afterlife is that it, it, you know, you, there's essentially no change in status between the life, the type of life that you've lived and then what, what happens in the after uh, afterlife. So uh, if you go to earlier Greek ideas, um, we see that, uh, uh, the dead Achilles, for instance, is, is still uh, a, a a hero in the afterlife. He hasn't changed as such. Um, or is, is it Odysseus? I can't remember. One of them. Uh, no, it's got to be Achilles um, because I think it's Odysseus who meets him. Anyway, um, the point is, though, that the, that 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 it just seems to mirror the life that that has been lived and if we go to the north right and we go to the viking age and we see um what people put into graves there it seems to be the same right it seems to be that you know if you're if you're a warrior then you're buried with your warrior gear and you're probably assumed to show up as a warrior in the afterlife mm-hmm. and there's not a, a big difference there. Uh, there might be some ideas attached to, for instance, care for the dead. So if you were a warrior who uh, did not get the proper burial, then maybe the idea was that you would be poor and lacking your status in the afterlife. But when it goes to this idea of like, oh, hell is a location where you know you go to if you're sick or dying in your bed or whatever, uh, whereas like Valhut is where you go to if you're like a cool warrior and one is down and the other one is up and all that stuff. That's Snorri Sturluson, who essentially is sort of like creating a pagan version of the Christian afterlife that, uh, that he um, believes in. And uh, that comes from 
this general idea uh, that he has that uh, you know all his ancestors were just a bunch of like um, psychopathic uh, um, warrior soldier boys who who were bloodthirsty and longing for joining Odin in Valhalla, just like you know in that Man of War song. <laughs> so, what about this idea of? You see it in TV shows and movies all the time where they someone's about to die and they're like, no, quickly get their sword and put it in their hand. They Yeah, I don't know where that comes from, man. <laughs> you Maybe Conan the up. Barbarian? Right? No, I say like you have to get it in their hands and then they're like, they're holding their sword so they, they can die the warrior's death. <laughs> it was in Last Kingdom, see? Yeah. Um, yeah, that... That uh, uh, com- no. comes from some some dude who made a movie, Nothing. I guess. <laughs> oh, it's quite cool. You know how many Viking bros out there just want to die with their sword in their hand? <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty. Again, I'm pretty sure that that actually comes from a Man of War song too. <laughs> yeah, I always wonder this. Like, to me, Valhalla sounds like it's really shit. Like. It's like, yeah, you get to drink mead from what is it like a a goat's titties, and you eat food. <laughs> but like, I have to die every day, and like, <laughs> dying can't feel good. Like going that, to battle, but that's every also day. part of what what Snurri is actually sort of like hinting at when he's making these descriptions. He's saying, you know what? It kind of sucks. And the sources that he's using for these descriptions, by the way, don't say anything like that. Like Snurri, he tells us, oh, these Einherja, they are like feasting every day on on pig's meat and drinking and, and all that stuff. And the source... I mean, let me do he, that bit. I'll do know, that It bit. sounds great. But the source that he's using for reference when he says that actually says nobody knows what the Einherja lives on. <laughs> so it's like he quotes a poem that says nobody knows what the Einherja lives on. And then he goes... Pig's meat. I mean, so. he's, guess- he's guessing. <laughs> um, okay, so in your opinion, taking Snorri out of it, what do you think Valhalla would have looked like to a person, like a somebody in the Viking Age who believed in this mythology as like as the truth? Like, what do you think Valhalla would have looked like to them if? They even believed in such a thing. So um, Saxo actually has a uh, interesting description of the underworld where we see uh, those eternal battles between the Einherjar. So to jump uh, in again, so would you class Valhalla as an underworld place? Yeah, because again, so, again, it's the idea of mm-hmm. Valhalla being up and very heavenly. I guess again, mm-hmm. which comes from Snorri. That's straight up Snurri, and you know what? He has so many references to stuff that he's read about, like descriptions of heaven in in a Christian context. That that it's like it's not even funny how much it 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 is just modeled over that. What what you what I think we should assume is that some Viking in the nine hundreds um, would probably assume that Valhurt was a hall where Odin would be residing, or 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 whatever. Deity they would attach to it, probably Odin, but uh, you could 
theorize that others could be involved was a hall somewhere in the underworld or somewhere in the landscape um and and that's where they would go you know some of the descriptions that we see in the poetry also just sound like grave mounds so mm. they might also have been quite sort of uh, atheistic about it or agnostic or it's like well i'm gonna go to that mound over there and that's that or the mound next to it that will be built when i die um mm. That that's probably more likely than 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 like something up there, um, mm-hmm. and and that's going back to Saxo. Saxo describes this um, journey that a uh, a certain king named Hatting uh, goes on into the underworld, and he sees these Einherja uh, fighting, and the guiding Vrlva tells him, uh, yeah, these are the Einherja um, fighting eternal battles. And the, 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 the general assumption in that story is that that sucks. Like, why would you want to spend the entirety of your afterlife just fighting? So, mm-hmm. again, what we could theorize is that when Snorri Sturluson is sort of like glorifying these images, um, what he's actually doing is he's taking a positive spin on it because he likes the idea of portraying these Vikings as as like as savages, um, which they ne- don't necessarily were. Perfect. There we go. Yeah. Kaden, I, ho- I hope that answers Caden's question. If <laughs> not, <hope> so too. <laughs> fucking tough. <laughs> tough. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> okay, so Robert wants to know, and this I found this interesting for a while, and maybe you might say we need to get a specialist on for this or not. I don't know. Um, so Robert, he says, I would like to know if there's any knowledge or speculation about pre-conversion Nordic beliefs about stars and more particular constellations. Mm-hmm. There is. Um, uh, Gisli Sirosan uh, has written a book that I'm pretty sure still hasn't been translated from Icelandic uh, about this subject where he theorizes that a lot of the things that we uh, actually see, a lot of the uh, descriptions of, of myths and locations in the um, in the mythology are, are actually um, uh, constellations. Mm. Uh, there is an article written written in English on the subject, also by Gilsey Sigurdsson, and I think it's from 2014. Can't remember the title though, but if you Google something like uh, Old Norse Mythology Constellations Gisli Sigurdsson, then you're probably going to get that. Um, So is is this someone we can reach out to try and get on the podcast? Yeah, we can. I think think that's such an interesting topic. And I think in in modern age, unless certainly people live in cities, towns, pretty much anywhere urban and built up, you don't realize kind of the... We, we've lost touch, I think, with looking up and the, the night sky and the stars. When you do get the chance to go out into a dark zone where there isn't any light pollution, you can see how it would have been and the importance of looking up and this almost magical thing above us that we just kind of ignore day to day because we're just not in that place where it's it's prevalent and you can really see it. So it would make sense that they would have looked up and made 
some stories about it or at least paid fucking attention to it. And I've never heard it kind of ever mentioned. So it really fascinates me to know what they would have thought. Yeah, so um, there's there's a lot of that in 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 other mythologies, and you know, for instance, you could go to Greek and Roman mythology, and they they got plenty of stories about this. One of the things I was saying is that the, the you know it's a pretty common theme to talk about constellations and stars in other mythologies around the planet, and it's kind of ironic that in uh, when it comes to uh, research of in old norse mythology there's a huge backlash against gizzi sigurdsson for you know suggesting this because there's a consensus among scholars um especially the older ones in uh in this field that uh, you can't uh sort of associate the myths with uh with natural phenomena um mm-hmm. and that that's just sort of like an ingrained idea um <laughs> that's kind of ridiculous when you look at it in context of of the rest of the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. There we go. So, okay. So, oh fuck, I, I hate doing these because I have to read people's names out and I can never get them right. So, Menelik, M-E-M-E-N-E-L-I-K, Menelik. That's what I'm going with. That's what I'm sticking with. That's what you're called now. <laughs> 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 Menelik Pendragon. Don't know if that's the real name. Might be made up. If Pendragon's your last name, then I'm fucking jealous. That's a really cool last name. <laughs> so he or she, because I'm not taking a guess on that one, <laughs> says, What do we know about Mele? Meli? M E I L I. Who the fuck's Mele? <laughs> uh, okay, what do we know about Meli? Uh, not a lot. Um, I think Thor is referred to as Meili's brother eh, or something like that. Um, let me just take a look and, and do a quick search in the index. Um, Got to remember my alphabet. Okay. So, I mean, it, it's, it's that much that I've never even heard of, of it. So we've clearly yeah, so, covered it before. So Melee is, is uh, uh, some unknown brother of Thor, um, and therefore also a son of Odin, and shows up in a couple of uh, Kenningar. And actually in one Kenning for Hainir, so maybe they are the same figure, but um, but uh, yeah, he is not mentioned often in the literature. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, Herstlong has a reference to Meili. Um, so the mountain wolf asked Step Meili to share out, out to him his fill from the holy table. Uh, so, so that's a, a giant that is, um, that is uh, talking to Hainir. Um, that, that's sort of the reference there. Um, 89. 
We have another reference to Mealy in another skaldic poem. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, me, that's, that's Thor. Mealy's brother's rage swelled. So that's a reference to Thor getting pissed off. 156. It seems like he's another just kind of like character just popped up. Just popped was almost like just, just being there. Like, oh, Melee was there, but not really. Yeah, so, I mean, what it really means is that there's a, you know, there's, with a lot of these names and and, and all that stuff, there's there's an underlying um, mythology that is actually not really explicated in the literature that we have available. So here we have a list that's in the Thule, um uh, so that's that's the list of uh, different things from the mythology. Uh, uh, Odin's sons are Baldur and Meili, Vidar and Nep, Vali, Ali, Thor and Hildolf, Hermul, Sikiskjold, Ingifer and Itrekshjod, Heimdall, Saming, and so on. So he just keeps like repeating different names of sons of mm-hmm. Odin, and Meili is one of them here. So that's what makes him, of course, uh, Thor's brother. Yeah. Okay, so basically, he's just Thor's brother. It's an we unknown have... deity of some kind who, yeah, seems to be a son of Odin, Thor's brother, and 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 that's really that. Hmm. Okay. Huh. Fair enough. Uh, on to the next one. I'm just trying to pick. I've got one that I want to leave for the. The end. Um, okay, so this is a, an interesting one. And I, I, I'm not sure what your answer is going to be to this. Uh, Freya's cat said, Matthias, would you ever consider leading an online blute slash ritual? Maybe like patron only. Now, I don't know whether we'd be like selling out if we did that. <laughs> um, but dollar dollar bills, we get paid. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, how do you feel? No, I wouldn't. And there's a very specific reason for that. That is the, um, those kinds of things need to be uh, taking place in a face-to-face community, if you ask me. Uh, that's mm-hmm. how I go about my, uh, my, my dealings with, uh, with rituals. Um, that's also why I'm not like, you know, teaching people to do nordic rituals or something like that because that's that's something that you you can can only learn in my opinion um by by having uh you know uh, i guess you know we could call it traditional social interaction um with one another okay interesting because we could probably make a lot of money <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding no i i again i i, I wasn't too sure because i was a bit like mm, like i because part of me is like it was an amazing experience to to share with you but it was also probably the fact we were there together where we were the people we were with so then would that translate Online and digitally, could you get still get into that place? And and yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I don't I don't think it would be the same. Or, or could I, mm, I don't know. 
Um, so, so, so actually, this comes down to how do you approach this? Um, how do you approach such things as like religion or spirituality? And in 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 my opinion, those things are inherently uh, communal and um, and uh, distinct in context of the place in which they take in uh, they take place, right? So, for instance, the ritual that we did at the Midgardsplot, um, we were a bunch of people coming from many different places, some from North America, some from Europe. Uh, some from India, uh, like there are people from 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 so many different places. Bob says, "When will the, when will we see the coconut bikinis? And can I be a guest for that episode? Since I was patron two hundred, um, you can only okay. You can be a guest if you're going to wear the coconut bikini. That's the rule. So anybody <laughs> who wants to guest with us on coconut bikini episode has got to wear it. And I think we, I think you know we we." we both had a bunch of shit going on recently, but I think we're out of the woods now and we can, um, we can get it going. I think it, let's say it's in like in the next few episodes, we've got a coconut bikini up. I'm, I'm good. You good? <laughs> yeah. Thumbs up. I'm on board with that. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. And then, yeah, in the next couple of episodes, we will coconut bikini and, We'll get it done because I feel like we've, yeah, we've waited. People have waited a long time for the coconut bikini. And if you, if you don't know what we're talking about, there's a bunch of episodes in the past. But I think the best explanation of it is probably with Alexander Drimmond, which is an insane thing to think that that's the best episode we have of us explaining why we're going to wear coconut bikinis. <laughs> I mean, technically, he said he was gonna be joining us for that. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna text him and see, but he's gonna steal, he's gonna steal my thunder. I know that. <laughs> uh, um, so let's jump into. Okay, so which on the corner said, Mateus, what made you decide to teach in the USA and Boulder specifically? Uh, job availability. Yeah, is it just yeah. is it just that simple of just what what's available? Yeah, I was I was applying for some jobs. I was turned down by uh, the University of uh, Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, which I am ever so thankful for because that's just like this like flat uh, cornfield kind of hell. Um, and yeah, if I I was considering applying for for a position in Tennessee, and I'm really really happy that I ended up in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my uh, my good friend who I haven't mentioned the podcast for a while, Mister Yunus, <laughs> says. Um, <laughs> What uh, Dan? What's your favorite thing you've learned uh, through making the podcast, or the first thing that springs to mind if it's too hard to pick a favorite? And I mean, oh, I've had so many moments of just having my mind fucking blown. But I think the one, the one that sticks with me was when we had Roderick Dale on, and we were talking about the Great Heathen Army, and I think he said that it was like 
Did you say it was like 40,000 people? Big or something ridiculous like that? And for some reason, that, that, that is the moment that sticks in my head of like, that's fucking insane. That That is so, so many people. I thought it was like a few thousand. Yeah, yeah. No, that's... That is um that is a lot, isn't it? <laughs> it's I mean it's a it's it's a few it's a fair few, but that, yeah, that's the the one that comes to mind. Um, I'm sure there's there's others and there's funny ones here. Okay, here's one. Let us know your favorite my moment of where I had my mind blown because I there must be ones that people because when someone blows my mind, I let you know about it and I kind of. You know, you know that I'm impressed. So if you have a favorite moment where I learned something and reacted, let us let us know. Like send us a, a message on Instagram or an email, which fuck we don't we have an email, we never give it out ever. So nmp at hornswording.com. Send us an email. Who does that still? You could just DM us, <laughs> but if you want to send an email, send an email or join the Patreon. And I would be interested to know if I have a your favorite Dan moment. Ooh. <laughs> a lot of people are saying that the time when you realize to talk to squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that, yeah, that is up there with uh, one of my favorite moments as well. So Sam says, again, he or she says, I love the podcast and the discussions you and you guys have. Uh, what has been your favorite episode discussion why can't I say that word? Episode or discussion slash tangent so far. So, yeah, what you... Do you have a, a favorite episode? I mean, I have favorite guests that we just kind of click with and, and kind of get on with and are really easy to talk to. Um, so yeah. says the, tan- the tangents about dicks. I feel like we haven't... We haven't gone on gone off on a dick tangent in a while. I feel like I've I've, uh, I've, I've become less smutty as we've as we've gone along. <laughs> well, there is uh, the crotum, uh, Odin's crotum, <laughs> Odin's crotum. Yeah, that might be one of speaking of favorite. dick tangents. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the the crotum episode. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it with them. Um, I, don't, I can't remember what we titled it. It was with Sophie and mm-hmm. Dragu Skald. Um, go back and listen to that. That is one of that episode is probably the hardest I've laughed in yeah. an episode. I was in pieces. Um, yeah, my favorite, one of my favorite topics, I think, was the Blood Eagle with Luke John Murphy. That I found mm-hmm. fascinating. It's something that I use all the time. Um, but I mean, we've had, if you actually look back at our list of guests, we've had some fucking phenomenal guests. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, um, I, I would say like blanket statement um, with regards to the, our episodes. Like, the ones that I generally enjoy the most are the ones where um, I learn something new or get my knowledge on something expanded upon um so mm-hmm. that's sort of like an overall yeah i mean that, <laughs> that i mean i can i can join you in that because happens every week to me 
<laughs> so I can just sit here and sit here and like, no, I I think we've been lucky with guests. It's very rare do we do we have a guest on that I feel like oh this is it's a fucking slog. And it does happen. I'm not gonna name any names, but sometimes you do get a guest where it's just like, oh, give me something. Like like I, I can't pull like everything from you, like just talk. But then like we get guests like Amelia Lorenzen and it's just so easy. And Benny, like Benny Bretton last week, like it's just so easy to talk and it's back and forward conversation. And I assume that's so much better for people to listen to as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I really have enjoyed those episodes myself. Mm. Perfect. Let's, let's wrap this up. I'm going to go play board games. Enjoy. Uh, I will. Um, yes, if you enjoy the show, I thought you were going to get a little more hyped about my board game playing, but if you want to be like that, be like that. <laughs> if you want to downplay it, downplay my coolness, whatever. <laughs> I, so it's like, it's I, like I, they're indie board games. It's not fucking Cluedo or Monopoly. It's like I, really I, cool. I'm sorry, but like honestly, I just don't understand games. Like, I, I don't understand board games. don't understand... Uh, games with dice i'm like incredibly boring that way i'm like oh we'll have to play um (laughs) no so it's we play like board games like there's one called zombie side which is very cool or like just little there's like one called coup which is cool where you get like cards and like different character things on them and yeah it's just like a bunch of just an excuse for us to drink and hang out and and have fun um yeah, we just like tabletop gaming, maybe rather than the board games, might be a better way to. to yeah, know it, still, still, like you know, for no. me, I don't understand. Like, no. <laughs> I, no. I don't know what this. Like, just fair enough. Next time we meet, got- we will we'll play some games. All right, <laughs> all right. If you enjoy the show, please take a minute to leave us a five star rating and positive review wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Obviously, you can support us and follow us on Instagram, just at Nordic Mythology Podcast, the same on Facebook. We have our Facebook group, again, just Nordic Mythology Podcast. And if you can, please take a moment to check out the Patreon. And if you can, please support over there. You're going to get episodes, I think, I think we're like releasing three weeks ahead of time on Patreon to to general release now. You're also going to get opportunities to ask us questions in episodes like this and we're going to be introducing more educational videos um that Matthias makes and just a bunch of other goodies and you also oh we're bringing story time back Jonas wants to start story time again which is one of my favorite things we've ever done ever (laughs) yeah the story time episodes always went down well um so there'll be a lot of fun to start up again a lot of exciting things. So yeah, if you can just go check out the the patron and again it helps us keep growing and employing people to help us so we don't have to do everything. Um Matthias, where can people find you? Um you should definitely go check out my new revamped website. There's a bunch of information, including a um sort of like a list of book suggestions for Viking Age, uh, Old Norse Mythology, and also a little bit on runes. So uh, yeah, go check that out. 
And um, yeah, otherwise you can find me on Instagram. Perfect. Hey guys, so you can find me on Instagram, Daniel underscore Farron one, unfollow Mateus, follow me on the <laughs> screen to, <laughs> to get ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> mail, huh? <laughs> no, I'm way behind. I'm way too far behind. Um, obviously, if you can check out the company at just at Hornswording, Hornswording.com. And yeah, just thank you very much for, for the support. We love doing this. And thank you for uh sticking with us. Yeah. Peace. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Everybody have have a good day. Hope you enjoyed. I'm gonna go play some games. Have fun. Bye.